welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program at the bottom of this hour. That is 35 after the hour. Mike Pence, former vice president of the United States, will be joining me on the program. There is some breaking news. A uh, Superior Court judge in Fulton County, Georgia, has uh, said that the Georgia fetal heartbeat law is unconstitutional and banned it from being enforced. He has enjoined the state from enforcing it. That's not going to go. It's going to get reversed on appeal. But uh, this judge claims that because it was passed when uh, Roe v. Wade still existed, that it could not ever be the law of the land. Uh, really <laughs> twisting some court precedents there to make that case for the Democrats. It's going to get reversed on appeal. Um, but that is the breaking news right now. The other breaking news is I have been trying to buy my kid Taylor Swift concert tickets since 10 o'clock this morning, and I am still in the queue. Ticketmaster, come on, fix your website. But I digress. I want to play some audio for you. I want to begin with Charlie Baker talking to Jake Tapper on CNN. You, in many ways, have been the anti-Trump Republican, although you haven't really billed yourself as that, and you've pretty much kept your powder dry when it comes to criticizing him the way that, for instance, Larry Hogan has done or Liz Cheney has done. Why? Why haven't you been more outspoken against him, even as so much of what you've done here in Massachusetts has been the embodiment of uh, everything he's not in a good way for you? Well, I didn't vote for him either time and made pretty clear why. Um, I also made very clear where I was coming from on the election results in 2020 and have continued to state my case on that one. Um, and I think, uh, I think one of the messages from the election is, uh, for Republicans generally, is um, we, need, we need as a party to move past uh, President Trump and to move on to an agenda that represents the voices of um, all those in the party and the people of the country, because that's clearly one of the messages that was sent to us by battleground state voters and independents in particular. Okay, I, I'm I'm sorry. I, Jake Tapper is a friend of mine. I don't know Charlie Baker. But it's always so freaking predictable whenever Republicans lose. Oh, we got to cater to the left. We need liberals. We we got to have somebody coming for them. I mean, Charlie Baker's a pro-abortion, liberal Republican, governor of Massachusetts, like Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan was, ah, we, we, we got to be, we got to be something other than what we are. No, be conservative, stand for something. Just don't be crazy. You do have to build a coalition, Republicans, but you've got to start from some principle, not stick your finger in the wind and figure out what you're going to do based on what the public yells the loudest. Scott Jennings on CNN. What effect do you think this, this governor's race, others like it, are going to have on GOP primaries going forward? Well, I think the Republicans need to ask themselves, what is the purpose of a political party? Because late in the campaign, Carrie Lake had, a, had an event and she asked, is there anyone here that's a John McCain Republican? And a few people raised their hands, and as the story goes, she told them to get out of her event. And I've just never seen a group of people who think the purpose of a party is to make it smaller 
and then act surprised when they don't win the election. Arizona uh, has a heavy dose of independent voters. They've often voted Republican in the past. They love uh, their current governor, Doug Ducey, for instance. So when you're actively trying to make your party smaller, to make yourself feel better, but not thinking about the electoral implications of that, it's a real problem. But you had a number of candidates around the country who think it's a bad honor to try to shrink the Republican Party. The only way to win is to get more people in the tent. You need Bush, McCain, Romney, Trump, McConnell, whatever. You need, you need all the, the kinds of flavors of Republicanism together because when you start to eject people, it makes it really hard to win in states that are purple, like Arizona and others, Pennsylvania, Georgia, you name it. Listen to Scott Jennings. Don't listen to Charlie Baker, people. You've got to make your party accessible to others, but that does not mean you must abandon your core convictions. Every single time Republicans lose, the media is, oh, if you just abandoned your core convictions, you'd do fine. We're about to elect a Speaker of the House in Kevin McCarthy who has no principles. He has no core convictions other than survival. I expect it's not going to end well. My friend Chip Roy has nominated Andy Biggs of Arizona to be the Speaker I don't think they have the votes to make that happen. Now, there are lots of people out there who say, well, we'll find, you know, even some some Republicans uh, on the the left end of the party. So we should make Liz Cheney the speaker. Here's the thing. Uh, You can throw out Mike Pence. You can throw out Liz Cheney. You can throw out Donald Trump. You can throw out anyone. The House of Representatives is not going to put in the speaker's chair someone who's not of the House of Representatives. The Constitution does not say they must be in the House of Representatives. It has never been done and is not going to be done now. The House Republicans and the House Democrats both generally agree you should not have anyone in the Speaker's chair who is not a member of the House, who is not themselves accountable to the voters. So they won't do it. Which means you're going to deal with those who are in the House on the Republican side, and I would urge them to not listen to the voices out of the room saying, well, you got to abandon your convictions. you got to be more liberal. You don't need to be more liberal. You need to just stand for something and not be crazy about it. If you can stand for something and not be crazy about it, the voters clearly are suggesting they want something other than the progressivism they're getting. They just don't want insanity to go with it. There's a path forward. Now, there's breaking news I got to get to. A Russian missile intended for Ukraine has exploded in Poland, killing two people. There are two stray rockets. They fell in a town in Poland on the border with Ukraine. They hit grain dryers, causing two people to die. Uh, the Polish have scrambled their um, military. Uh, the Polish prime minister has said it is an urgent uh, matter. They have summoned a national security meeting. Uh, No, this is not the start of World War III. People are picking out, thinking, oh, my gosh, Poland's going to activate Article 5. By all accounts, it appears that the missiles uh, were fired not to go into Poland but went rogue and went into Poland. Uh, Their guidance systems failed. That's what it seems. That's what everyone is saying. But the Internet, of course, wants World War III. Everybody's freaking out. I suspect that uh, we will not see World War III. What I do know, though, is that uh, General Milley is in hot water with the White House. 
because he, well, overstepped his bounds, it seems. This is the headline at Politico. U.S. scrambles to reassure Ukraine after Milley comments on negotiations. The Biden administration is in damage control mode after a top U.S. general said a window for peace talks between Kiev and Moscow could open this winter, with senior officials scrambling to assure Ukraine it wasn't undercutting its goal of expelling the Russians. Specifically, senior U.S. officials are telling their counterparts in Ukraine that the expected winter fighting pause doesn't mean talks should happen immediately. Instead, they're relaying that Washington will continue to support Kiev's militarily as it launches the next phase of advances on the battlefield, according to Ukrainian and U.S. officials. The scramble follows comments last week by General Mark Milley, the Joint Chiefs Chair. The four-star general said during an appearance at the Economic Club of New York that a victory by Ukraine may not be achieved militarily and that winter may provide an opportunity to negotiate with Russia. The general has spoken regularly with his Ukrainian counterpart, including Monday, During the discussion, their Ukrainian counterpart did not express any concern or mention Milley's comments even once. The person who said this, along with others interviewed for the story, spoke on conditions of anonymity in order to discuss internal deliberations. Still, the White House does not want to drop a hint. They want Ukraine to negotiate with Russia. Meanwhile, Republicans on Capitol Hill are asking Nancy Pelosi to hold off funding for Ukraine in a in a lame duck session of Congress. They don't want to write a blank check. They want some accountability. The Democrats are expected to fund Ukraine one last time before the Republicans take over in January. Um, I'm not surprised that the Republicans want to wait, and I'm not surprised that the Democrats refuse what I do need everyone to understand and appreciate is that there's a lot of polling, a lot of polling from Republicans and Democrats alike that shows funding Ukraine and standing with Ukraine is broadly popular. Republicans and Democrats alike find it broadly popular. And Arguably, given its popularity, Kevin McCarthy's comments of two weeks ago about not funding Ukraine might have had some impact with some independent voters. It was a misstep. Nonetheless, Kevin McCarthy has just won uh, the speaker's race to become GOP nominee. He's got to spend the next seven weeks working to get 218 supporters to win the floor vote January 3rd, but within the Republican majority, The Republicans, by and large, have decided to support him, 188 to 31 Republicans. The Republicans, like the Democrats, never want to take a chance on something new, typically. They don't tend to do that. They don't like to do that, and they did not do that in this case. So they are siding with Kevin McCarthy. Uh, That's going to be a disaster in the making. McCarthy is an opportunist with no principles. He's going to screw things up. Republicans in Congress will get what they deserve, I'm sure. That's just disappointing to me, in all honesty. Disappointing to me. Now, I'm going to go on and take a quick time out because I want to come back and I want to spend time on something that happened Saturday night before we get to the Vice President of the United States calling in at the bottom of the hour. Yeah, I want to talk about the Dave Chappelle comedy routine on Saturday Night Live. It's got the Anti-Defamation League all up in arms about what he said, we should, any 
tied it to Kanye West and Carrie Irving and, and several others. We'll discuss when we get back. Let's pause and just talk about what's going on in the country for a moment. We got sky-high inflation. We got runaway government spending. Trust in Washington is completely eroded. When government is this dysfunctional, you got to change the course in the country. You know you have to. That's why I'm excited about the work Americans for Prosperity is doing. They're focused on policy solutions that actually improve people's lives, unlike so many in D.C. who just want to play political football and have power. Americas for Prosperity doesn't just come up with solutions. They act on those solutions. They have the largest network of community activists in the country. They are out there every day talking to millions of their fellow Americans. If you're interested in seeing how you can get started with Americans for Prosperity in your community, visit americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. That's americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I am a fan of Dave Chappelle's. I don't recommend his comedy because it is very vulgar and crude. But he is a genius storyteller and I think inarguably the greatest stand-up comedian of our time. One of the things that Dave Chappelle does is he pushes buttons and crosses lines he should not cross to make points that need to be made. On Saturday night, he did his stand-up open for Saturday Night Live. They tend to bring him in after elections. Dave Chappelle is the great unifier these days, although some members of the staff at Saturday Night Live refuse to work with him because they consider him transphobic. And in the rehearsals, he did a stand-up routine that focused on that, and he scrapped that for the live performance that was actually well done and uh, ridiculed Kanye West for his anti-Semitic remarks and Kyrie Irving. But he started it by reading a statement, I stand with my friends in the Jewish community and regret my words, blah, 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 blah. And then he says, that Kanye West could have bought you some time. (laughs) And he he essentially did stand up that the uh, Anti-Defamation League and a number of Jewish groups are saying it's anti-Semitic because it uh, laughed at the tropes about Jews in charge of Hollywood. And essentially said there are two words no black person is allowed to say together, the and Jews. I got to tell you, I am not Jewish. I thought it was very funny. But I also understand the concerns that uh, many of my Jewish friends have that we are for some reason in this country right now seeing a rise of anti-Semitism. And one of the old rules in political conversations is find something you can laugh at, and and it desensitizes people to it. And and laughing at the anti-Semitism I don't think is something we as a country should engage in. At the same time, I think what Dave Chappelle did was as much as laughing at the 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 old stereotype of the Jews control Hollywood, laughing at Kanye West and Kyrie Irving for being rather idiots for how they handled the situation and what they did, mocking Kanye West for losing money. I understand the concerns of the ADF and, and the like, but I also understand you're not going to tell Dave Chappelle to shut up. 
What I am concerned about, however, is particularly on the right these days, there there is this alt-right ideology surfacing that is pretty anti-Semitic, that sides with Palestine, Palestinians, there is no Palestine, Palestinians over Israel, that makes excuses for a lot of people who say things that really are anti-Semitic, that prop up the, the tropes of a Jewish conspiracy controlling everything. And I don't know that it's wise to feed into that. Uh, according to page six at the New York Post, Dave Chappelle did not want Lorne Michaels and the SNL crew to know what his stand-up routine was going to be, uh, did not want to give them heartburn over it. I get that as well. What I do find interesting is how polarizing Chappelle has become to people who don't understand what he's doing, pushing the boundaries of outrage to find some consensus in how there are some things to be outraged about and many things that we are outraged about we should not be outraged about. I personally think his comedy is brilliant. I think it is social commentary, of which he and I don't see the world in the same way. He's a very progressive Democrat. But in his comedy routine on Saturday Night Live, he pointed out how he knew Donald Trump was going to win in 2016 because he lives among, in his words, the poor whites of Ohio. And even he found stuff to like in Trump's message that was anti-Washington, anti-establishmentarian, anti-elite, even as Donald Trump himself was a billionaire bashing the billionaires and the elites of Washington and New York was a message that even he, a man of great wealth, could gravitate towards. And I, I personally think that I'm going to give Chappelle some latitude here. I've seen how the left comes after him for everything. But I also do understand the concerns about normalizing jokes about Jews because we do have this weird, strange, virulent anti-Semitism rising up in the country right now. And I'm not exactly sure what it is except I, – I, I've got a theory, and it's, it's a theory of – conspiracy. You know, there are, there are several reasons for conspiracies. One is that the world is so complicated, a conspiracy tries to make it simpler. There are just people behind the strings pulling uh, the strings, people behind the, the scenes pulling strings. Uh, the other is there are things that are so simple that we have to make them complex because the simple doesn't satisfy us. And the third is that you yourself have failed at life and can't acknowledge your failure, so you must blame a conspiracy of other people. And because the Jewish people have been around for so long with a system of law and order and religion way longer than any Western European civilization, Western Europeans and their descendants have over time blamed the Jews for a lot of things instead of taking ownership of their own failures, and it seems to be rearing its head again, and we should all be pushing back against that for our friends in the Jewish community. But with Dave Chappelle, I'm going to laugh at Dave Chappelle's jokes. I think he's a great, brilliant social commentator. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation waiting for Mike Pence to give us a call. 
Uh, looks like he's calling in now. Uh, he will be with me just a moment. Uh, just so you know, a couple of breaking news items to deal with right now. A Russian, Two Russian missiles have fallen in Poland, killing two people, hitting a grain silo there. They were meant for Ukraine. Uh, Kevin McCarthy has the votes now to be the Republicans' nominee for Speaker of the House. And in Georgia, a state court judge, a superior court judge in the state of Georgia, has enjoined the state from enforcing its fetal heartbeat law. Those are the three big headlines right now. Uh, the fourth headline comes from a longtime friend of mine, uh, a guy I just, my goodness, can't say good things enough about him, a prayer warrior for my family and me for him, an all-around good guy, one of the very few politicians in America my wife actually likes, him and Brian Kemp are probably the only two, just so happens to be a friend. His name's Mike Pence. You might have heard of him, and he joins me. How are you? <laughs> Eric Erickson, I am well. I'm so, so glad uh, Christie's doing so great. And uh, tell her one of these days we're going to get out on those Harley Davidsons, the three of us. She, together, she, I uh, no, no, I, I am not getting out there with you. Let, let's be clear here. It could be the two of you. <laughs> your, your, your wife and I can stay behind. How is your wife, by the way? Uh, Karen is terrific. We're actually in New York City today. We started uh, a book tour on my autobiography that came out today. So help me God. And but we're blessed. We uh, our three kids are thriving. We got two families in the military, and uh, most important at all, we became grandparents about a year and a half. Oh, ago. I heard and about so, that. <laughs> so, Karen Karen Pence couldn't have been happier. She is uh, she she was a great mom, but she's the ultimate grandma. Okay, so how into spoiling the grandkids are y'all? It's over the top. It's really ridiculous. In fact, my my son, who's a captain in the United States Marine Corps, has gotten to just rolling his eyes when we call on Zoom to catch up with our granddaughter. <laughs> he said, "You know, I'm here, I'm here too, Dad." You know, so, but uh, oh, no, I know how that we, works. I wrote in my book. I actually said we figured out, you know, that we actually just had kids, so we could have grandkids. Pencils are blessed. That's fantastic. And, but I couldn't think of a better. I just. I couldn't think of a better way to start this book tour than spending some time with you on the airwaves. And Eric, I just so appreciate the opportunity. Well, look, I appreciate it. And, and folks, if you'd like to order the vice president's book, if you text data to three, three, seven, 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 I will text you right back a link to his book. It's called, so help me God. Let's talk about it. Obviously a lot of headlines have come out after your interview with David Muir on the last days of the Trump administration. What I yep. do think that gets overshadowed is the work that the Trump administration did, as you and I have talked about, having grown up in Dubai, I wasn't allowed to go to Israel. You couldn't make a phone call to Israel. If you looked mm -hmm. up Israel in the encyclopedia, right. the pages were ripped out. And suddenly with the Abraham Accords, the Trump administration it has brought peace to the Middle East in a way no other administration was ever able to do. It's so true. And, and um, in fact, you know, I, I understand the national media's uh, interest in um, the challenging days at the end of the administration. But I think any of your listeners should should know that uh, my book, So Help Me God, not only takes them from my upbringing in a small town in Indiana, my service as a conservative warrior when you and I met when I was in Congress, uh, my service as governor of Indiana, but it's been described as the most fulsome uh, description and defense of the record of the Trump-Pence administration for four years. I, uh, I I couldn't be more proud of everything we accomplished at home and abroad. Uh, and I, I chronicle the historic strengthening of our relationship with Israel, which, you know, when we moved the American embassy to Jerusalem, literally virtually every voice in the Western world uh, – 
called the president at the time and told him it would foment war. Everyone in our foreign policy establishment said the same thing. But to his credit, uh, President Trump said, no, we said we were going to do it. He said, I think it actually makes peace more possible. We moved the embassy. We recognized the Golan Heights. Uh, we, we we took funding away from the Palestinian Authority when they wouldn't meet and discuss peace. And the end effect was in the fall of 2020, the Abraham Accords, the first peace agreement between Arab nations and Israel in nearly 30 years. We, we made history. We made an incredible difference. And uh, when we get back to that kind of, of strong commitment to Israel, strong commitment to all of our allies and restoring American strength at home, America's going to come back bigger and better than ever before, Eric. Now, again, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Vice President Mike Pence. You can text DATA to 33777, click the link, order his book. Um, how do you, having, you were in Congress, you've been a governor, you've been Vice President yep. of the United States. You look at last Tuesday where so many people, myself included, the data suggested a red wave that didn't come to be. How do you interpret what happened last week? Well, first off, uh, hats off to Governor Brian Kemp. Uh, yes. He found himself in a challenging primary and then goes on against really one of the most formidable Democrat candidates in America and wins a decisive victory in the fall. But Brian and Marty Kemp are an extraordinary first family. But uh, to me, his victory in so many ways was emblematic of a lesson learned in the election, and that is that that I, I believe elections are about the future, Eric, and that um, when you look around the country, and I, I'm, I'm thrilled that we've won a Republican majority in, in the United States House of Representatives. I'm anxious to see Herschel Walker elected in that upcoming special election, but I'm disappointed that we won't have a shot at a Republican majority in the Senate. But when I look around, it's this principle that elections are about the future and that Candidates that focused on the future, like Governor Brian Kemp did, did quite well and, and, and brought the party and, and frankly, brought, brought voters across the spectrum uh, together around their candidacies. But candidates that were focused on the past, candidates that were focused on relitigating the last election did not do as well. And so I, I think one of the enduring lessons is that uh, the Republican Party needs to be the party of the future. We, we need to produce men and women at every level who are going to focus on the challenges facing Americans under this disastrous Biden-Harris administration that's weakened us at home and abroad, and focus on a future built on our highest ideals and on freedom. Now, getting to the future, I want to go way back to the beginning in your book, So Help Me God. Your family owned gas stations in Indiana, and yeah. we, we now seem to have policies in this country that are deeply hostile to people who are in your parents' business. In in California, they don't want to build any more gas stations, and yet I don't see how we move to a future without the fossil fuels that this country itself can have that your administration was able so ably to help people get out of the ground. It, it seems like there just is a war with reality in some of the environmental programs of the left that are hostile to small business owners uh, like your family running gas stations. Well, there's just no question. You know, I, I grew up, my dad was a marathon jobber in Indiana, and uh, I, I pumped gas, you know, for five years, helped pay my way through college. I was a gas station attendant. I know that people have long since forgotten what that was, Eric. You can explain it to your listeners later. <laughs> but um, but <laughs> look, look, I've always believed that the source of our nation's greatness is our faith in God, 
our freedom and our vast natural resources. And from the first day of the Biden-Harris administration, uh, they have been at war with American energy. They've shut down the Keystone and Dakota pipeline, shut down Alaska. I was in New Mexico campaigning for our candidate there. They told me they'd approved two oil wells in the Permian Basin in New Mexico, one of the most oil-rich parts of the country in the last two years. And so I, there's no question that part of what this new majority in the Congress is, must do is is put a clean light of attention and use the power of the purse to get this administration to back off on their war on American energy, unleash American energy, because it is a wellspring, a wellspring of American prosperity. Now, I got to ask you the, the impolite question here. Um, yeah. do, does yeah. the future, we're, we're getting something possibly from President Trump today at Mar-a-Lago, does the future maybe hold a presidential running announcement from you? Yeah, I, I don't know what President Trump is announcing tonight. Um, um, That's true. But it's a free country. But it's a free country. He what about you? Intentions in any way. But well, I, I will tell you, I'm always humbled to be asked. And as we've traveled the country over the last two years, I've uh, I've been deeply moved at uh, uh, at the number of Americans that have uh, stopped Karen and me at the grocery store, at an airport, or on a street corner, and express appreciation for the policies of our administration and encourage us to continue to continue to look for ways to serve the country. And I can just tell you that that come this Christmas, we'll gather for the first time in three years with our, our Marine, our Navy son-in-law. They've been off on deployment, so we haven't been able to be together. And we'll spend time. We'll give prayerful consideration. And uh, we'll go where we're called, Eric. I, I love this country. My wife and I have dedicated ourselves to serving this country and uh, if we feel called uh, to step into that national arena, we'll, we'll do it without hesitation. Now, between now and then, uh, you, you're on a book tour right now, but you, yeah. you've also got, you, you've had a, a servant's heart for serving this country for a while. Uh, is there an issue that you wish the nation was paying more attention to right now that if you could put the spotlight on it, it's, it's something you care deeply about? Well, we made so much progress. The appointments to the Supreme Court won us a new beginning for the right to life. We uh, we showed the way toward energy independence. Um, the Biden-Harris administration uh, has dismantled much of what we've done for the economy. But what's not getting attention today is that at a time that we have Russia on the march in Eastern Europe, we have China increasing its provocations despite a nice meeting with President Biden this week, their provocations in the Asia-Pacific, North Korea's firing missiles. The Biden administration has been flatlining defense spending. And it's just going, it's going virtually unreported. At a time when, uh, when China is building up as never before um, uh, and, and continuing to, to threaten to expand uh, their interest and, and uh, their, uh, their presence across the Asia-Pacific, now more than ever, we need to get back on a path of peace through strength. And uh, I, I hear it from members of the military all over the country. They're feeling it. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I just believe I believe that uh, as the new Republican majority arrives in Congress and hopefully as Herschel Walker arrives in a Republican minority in the Senate, we're going to have Republicans that are focusing attention on the first priority of the Constitution. And that is to provide for the common defense, to be prepared to defend our freedom, to stand with our allies today and tomorrow. Now, before I let you go, I'm going to ask you the question I always hate to get, but apparently it's the one people love to ask, so I'm going to ask it of yeah. you. Uh, yeah. In your book, So Help Me God, 
you write a lot about the president. You write a lot about the Trump administration and your background. If there's something in the book you want to make sure people know that they may not know about you or your family, what would it be? Well, I, I hope the title suggests that for me, for these 63 years, it's just simply been a story about God's faithfulness. You know, I, I grew up in a wonderful church family. My parents were very devout. But I lost interest with faith early on. And uh, as a freshman in college, as I recount in the book, I, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Um, then I met the girl of my dreams. We took a shot at politics, but I didn't, in my early days, square my values, my obligations in my faith to my politics. But after some tough lessons learned 10 years later, we had the opportunity to try again and and all along the way, we've we've sought to honor God in everything that we've done. And at the end of the day, even through difficult days, at the close of the administration, it was it was that I took an oath to support and defend the Constitution that ended with a prayer, Eric. So help me God. And I, I'll always believe in my heart of heart that I I, I kept that oath to the American people, and I I kept that oath to God, but only by His grace. And I, I hope as people have the opportunity to look at my book, so help me God, though. They'll see a story not so much about a small-town guy from Indiana, uh, but about God's faithfulness to me and to my family and to this country. Vice President Mike Pence, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You, you know, occasionally i got to get guest hosts around here. I, I'll have Charlie reach out. I, I know you've got, a, you've got a great radio voice and a background in it, too. <laughs> I'd love it. I'd love to do it. Listen, it's always my best to Karen and, and to your family. I, I, I have valued your friendship and your prayers for my family so much. It's always good to talk to you. Well, I'm a great admirer, great fan of Eric Erickson, and thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. Vice President Mike Pence, you can text the word DATA to 33777 and get his book, So Help Me God. Uh, What a good guy. Patriot Mobile is helping conservatives advance across the country, just as Vice President Pence is. They want your help. What you've got to do, though, just move your cell phone service to them. They have guaranteed great service. They use the same cell towers everyone else uses, and they take a portion of their profits, and they give it to the conservative cause. You can go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric today, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can choose to move your cell phone business. You can take your existing cell phone number and port it over to them or get a brand new number from them if you want. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. You can also call them. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get great discounts if you're a veteran, a first responder, an NRA member, a teacher. Or if you've got a number of kids and you need multiple cell phones, we're about at that point in my house, they can give you a great deal, help you save some money at Patriot Mobile. All you got to do is reach out to them at 972-PATRIOT or go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Again, you get guaranteed great service. You can port your existing phone number to them. And the cool thing is if you go to their website, you can zoom all the way down to your house and see how great the coverage is, data, 5G voice, all of that. It's patriotmobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. Get free activation using my name. I have been in queue for Taylor Swift tickets since 10 a.m. this morning, really before 10 a.m. My goodness gracious. I just want two tickets to take my kid. That's going to be her Christmas present. She already knows. It's what she asked for. Chris Christie is at a closed-door meeting of Republican governors. The RGA met and um, met with top donors and consultants in Orlando and criticized Donald Trump and his candidate selections and received 
Uh, applause there. He called for the Republican Governors Association to engage in Republican primaries to prevent extremist candidates. Uh, praised the RGA for not spending in Pennsylvania for Mastriano, who lost by 15 points. And also, um, though Ron DeSantis was not in the room, praised him. Uh, Governors Doug Ducey of Arizona, Bill Lee of Tennessee, Pete Ricketts of Nebraska, Mike DeWine of Ohio, Charlie Baker of Massachusetts, and Chris Sununu of New Hampshire were among the attendees. Uh, Doug Ducey uh, actually did try to help Kerry Lake in Arizona, Um, and he is now retiring. These governors, I think they've had enough of Trump. Uh, right before he came on the show, the holdup for Mike Pence getting on the show right on time was he was doing an interview with John Bachman on Newsmax, was asked if he would support Donald Trump in 2024, and said he was sure there would be better alternatives in 2024. Um, it is kind of an interesting thing there a, to defend the Trump administration's record at the same time to be ready to move on from it as the vice president is, it seems. Um, Interesting juxtaposition there. So um, good to have him with me. You can text the word data to 33777 should you want uh, to order his book. Uh, Joe Biden has met with Xi Jinping. They apparently had a positive conversation, according to sources who were in the Room and that the president tried to deter Xi from doing anything with China while iterating, reiterating the one China policy that they have it was a three hour meeting at the G20 summit of economic powers in Bali. And they're trying to build some bridges. Interestingly enough, President Xi decided that there could be a world of China and Russia on one side and the United States on the other. And Xi is having to rethink that because the Russian military in Ukraine is clearly not up to the task. And Xi has now sent signals to Russia that uh, using nuclear weapons in Ukraine would be a deal breaker for any future relationship with China. He understands that uh, the world he wanted with China and Russia is not the world he can get because the Russians aren't competent enough to be able to pull it off. And that's forcing him to talk to the United States. But they are still not our friend. And Joe Biden should not be deluded by that fact. We should all be very careful of China.